Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. I am so pleased that you are joining me today. It's Holy Week. Well, certainly this episode goes out during Holy Week. My hope and prayer is that you can listen to this podcast any week and you will learn something about Holy Week. So Holy Week is uh, the final week from, well, up to Christ's death and resurrection on Resurrection Sunday through Good Friday, Maundy Thursday. Uh, but many of us don't know what Jesus' last week looked like because different Gospels give us slightly different uh, entry points into Holy Week. And it's only when you put them all together you kind of get a big picture. We actually know what Jesus did every single day in those final seven days. We can add it all up. We know where he was, what he was doing, and who he was hanging out with. But you have to be able to put the different Gospels together. And that is what I am going to be doing today in this podcast. Now, I wasn't planning on putting this episode out because while this is going out, I will be at Spring Harvest. I was planning on having a few weeks off, which I will do after this episode, trust me. But I wanted to give you uh, a look at Jesus's last week. So if you're wa- uh, listening, watching this, if you're listening to this, either Holy Week or the subsequent weeks, hopefully it'll give you a picture of what Jesus's last week looked like. And it might help you understand and kind of see how we can track down uh, Jesus's footsteps through that, that last week. Because we see Jesus interact, interacting with uh, the Passover festival. It's a real city. It's a real place with real issues. And we see Jesus walking through Jerusalem over these seven days interacting with the festivals that were happening at the time. So I hope you find this really, really interesting. Uh, If you've stumbled across this particular episode, I would love you to subscribe. I would love you to share. I'd love you to leave a comment. The reason why I'm making this episode is one of uh, our listeners messaged me and said, Chris, have you ever done an episode on Holy Week? Looking at what Jesus did over the week. And I was like, no, I haven't. Like, We could definitely do that. And I'm only doing this episode because one of our listeners uh, kind of made the suggestion. So if you've got a suggestion for a future episode, why don't you pitch it? Can't guarantee I'll look at it, but we may just well. So here we are, friends. Uh, We are going to jump into Jesus's holy week. If you're interested in what we are looking at here, then I would definitely say get yourself a copy of the Bible book by book. Uh, As we look at the Gospels in the Bible book by book, which recently just got its second edition, just come back out. You can see the the link in the show notes to get hold of a copy. We actually look at this uh, in the Bible book by book uh, and explore it a little bit as we unpack Jesus' Holy Week. So, friends, I hope you find this inspiring. Let's jump straight in. Okay, let's jump straight in. Now, I'm going to be speaking from some notes that I put together many years ago as I tried to just track and work out Jesus' footsteps through Holy Week. And the interesting thing is as you work through it, well, you're not interesting, you won't be surprised at all, but there's lessons throughout the entire week. There's things for us to personally reflect on and lessons to learn as we go through the week. 
So we're going to start on the Sunday before resurrection. I'm going to call Sunday white stallions and pink BMXs. You see, Jesus' final week before his crucifixion is, is eventful. Uh, every day there's a step closer towards resurrection and each day is loaded with meaning and significance in itself. So as we look at Sunday, we'll be exploring John chapter 12. Any normal day in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago would have seen somewhere in the region of 40,000 pilgrims within the walls of Jerusalem coming to worship. When it came to Passover, because the Passover was such a significant festival, Jerusalem would be bursting at the seams. There would be no room in the inn. People would be trying to hunt down and find a place to stay. So some people would camp out on the Mount of Olives. Some people would stay in Bethany. Some people would stay in Emmaus. Actually, we find out uh, later in the week that Jesus was most probably staying in Bethany uh, with friends of his. So Jesus is out in Bethany, as we find out later in the Gospels. So we can locate Jesus as staying over in Bethany. We'll see that in a little while when we come to Jesus' feet being anointed. So Jesus is on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. And Passover comes, city is packed, Romans overtake the city of Jerusalem because if there's ever going to be a point that the Jewish people are going to try and overthrow the Romans it's going to be during the Passover festival and because there were so many Jews in the city the Romans wanted to make sure that they could stamp out any uprising and there were uprisings during the Passover season we know this from previous Passovers it's written about in Josephus and other historical texts the city of Jerusalem became almost unmanageable for the Roman Empire because there were so many Jews in the city so what they would do is the Roman Empire would send in extra centurions an extra garrison to man the streets of Jerusalem now, one of the things that we do know about the Roman Empire is not all of the Roman centurions were Roman. They would employ people from all over the Roman Empire to be a Roman centurion. And many of, and it was it was not great paid work, so it was, it was a, lay, a, a cheap form of, of labour. They would employ people from the region. And we do know that many um, men from Samaria... We know them as the Samaritans. Men from Samaria were employed as Roman centurions. The, you know, the the, the um, Samaritans were seen as those dirty, unclean Samaritans. And that's why we have the story of systemic racism told by Jesus about the man that is attacked on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And we told that the man that helped him was a Samaritan. And that shocked them all. So, Jerusalem thousands and thousands of pilgrims pile into the city sleeping all over uh, the the area up the mount of olives out to bethany out to emmaus and other regions like that and we are told in the jewish history books that they would send Pilate into jerusalem a week before passover to make sure there was not uh, an uprising so Pilate lived out on the Mediterranean coast where it was cool and when he came to 
Jerusalem, he would stay in one of Herod's palaces. Now, he lived in a place called Caesarea Maritime, which was out on the coast. And he would travel into Jerusalem and he would enter Jerusalem on the west side of the city. The west side of the city was the wealthy end of town. It's where Herod lived. It's where all the political leaders lived. It's where the temple high priests lived. It was the wealthy end of town. And what we are told is that Pilate would come a week before the Passover, the beginning of the week, which was Sunday, that Pilate would pile into Jerusalem with a whole load of centurions to basically say, hey, we're in town. Don't try an uprising. We're here. And we are told on the same day that this would have happened, and we're told this in John 12, 1, we're told that Jesus arrived six days before Passover into a little place called Bethany. Um, that would have been on the Saturday. And it says in John 12, 12, that the next day Jesus went into Jerusalem on the donkey. So if he was in Bethany on the Saturday and he goes the next day into Jerusalem, he was arriving into Jerusalem on the Sunday. So Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey the same day that Pilate was riding into Jerusalem. Pilate would ride into Jerusalem on the back of a white stallion. Surrounded by centurions, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Surrounded by the poor of the east side of the city. One of the things I, I find really quite comical is I've often heard people say that the same people that were cheering for Jesus uh, on his entry into Jerusalem were the same people that were jeering for his crucifixion on, on the Friday morning. Friends, that's just not true. Jesus' trial happened in the west side of the city, in the wealthy end of town. Those cheering for Jesus and celebrating him as the next king of Jerusalem, they lived on the east side of town. Two different groups of people. The poor were cheering for him and the wealthy were booing for him. So we're told that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on the same day that Pilate would have been riding into Jerusalem on the back of a white stallion. Thus why I'm calling it Sunday. White stallions and pink BMXs. Because a donkey, we're actually told it was a donkey's colt, which is a small, small donkey. It's the kind of donkey a child would ride. We're told that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey's colt which means his little sandals would have been scraping along the floor because it was so small. So Jesus, riding in Jerusalem, is setting himself up on the Sunday as an alternative to the empire, and an alternative to the empire. So that is Sunday. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the same as Pilate riding in on the back of a white stallion. And then we wake up. It's Monday morning. Well, actually, what we're told is Jesus rides into Jerusalem. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 15, we're told that Jesus goes into Jerusalem, having rode in, and he walks around the temple. Because it's late in the day, he goes home. So Jesus wakes on the Monday morning. Now, a little bit of back history first. So in Jerusalem, you had the temple where all the temple sacrifices happened and people had to go and make sacrifices to appease for their sins and over time people would travel into Jerusalem they would make their sacrifice they'd pay their taxes there and then they would go home and the temple realized that all these people were traveling for miles around carrying their goats their sheep 
their chickens, their doves, whatever it was, their pigeons, whatever they were going to sacrifice. They were carrying them for miles or walking for them with them for miles. They realized, hang on, we could start trading ourselves, selling all these items for the sacrifice here so people don't have to travel with them all the way in. So that's what they did. The temple made deals with surrounding townships that they would become uh, the sole distributors of the animals that were needed in the temple so that they would be able to be bought in the temple not on the road on the way to the temple so essentially the temple in Jerusalem became a giant Tesco's you would go to the temple and on the way going into the temple to do your sacrifice you would pick up your sacrifice in the temple courts and you would go into the temple. And it was worse than that because you could only buy from the temple if you weren't using Roman coins. So you, everybody had to use Roman coins because of the Roman e uh, Empire. So as you entered Jerusalem, you would change your Roman coins to temple coins so you could buy the animal for the sacrifice. So people were being ripped off twice. They were being ripped off by having to change their money from Roman coins to to temple coins and then they were ripped off because they were paying higher prices for the sacrifices in the temple so the poor were actually paying more than they should for the temple um, sacrifices side note Bethlehem had the corner of the market when it came to lambs the shepherds in Bethlehem were shepherds that were there caring for sheep that would be sold not for wool but for sacrifices in Jerusalem and that they would swaddle the lambs in such a way that the, sac the lambs for the sacrifice would be spotless lambs and Jesus is born in Bethlehem as what a spotless lamb for a temple sacrifice for all people nice little touch there God so Jesus walks around the temple on the Sunday afternoon. He's, he's seen what's happening with the money changers and the temple sacrifices, and he goes home. And he obviously stews on it overnight and comes back the following day. So we're told in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, that the next day, um, that it was the next day. And in verse 15, we're told that Jesus went to the temple, he made a whip, and he cleared it out. The temple had become like Tesco's. And making a whip, Jesus clears out the middleman he's getting rid of those that are making money over the forgiveness of sin and Jesus yells out get out so Jesus is unhappy with the worship happening in the temple because it was stopping people from coming to worship God fully because there were so many things to leap over and work out before they could buy their sacrifice and they couldn't afford it. Would Jesus be happy with our worship? Would Jesus want to clear out our churches? It's a good question, isn't it? Does our worship ever exploit the poor? Because that's certainly what was happening in the temple in Jerusalem. So Sunday, Jesus rises in Jerusalem. Monday, Jesus clears out the temple according to Mark chapter 11. Now let's enter into Tuesday. And the big topic for Tuesday is authority. Only days before his crucifixion, Jesus is now making his presence known. He's paraded into the city on a donkey and he's cleared out the money changers. Now today he heads back into Jerusalem where he is confronted by the temple leaders. 
because of what he's done the day before. And the big question on their minds is this. Whose authority does Jesus speak on? You're going to find this in Matthew chapter 24. So whose authority does Jesus speak on? See, as a rabbi, rabbis spoke with what was called shmina, meaning authority. And one rabbi could pass the authority on to another rabbi. You couldn't claim your own shmina. It was given to you. So the big debate is who gave Jesus his shmina? So they want to know whose authority do you speak from Jesus? So that's the big question that Jesus is asked here on the Tuesday in the temple. So Jesus sits in the temple with everybody who's listening around him while the religious leaders become more and more angry at his standpoint and his theology. And Jesus ends up teaching in the temple uh, with a, with a, a, a prophecy a prophecy that uh, the temple is going to be destroyed and that it would be rebuilt three days later. Jesus claimed that the destruction of Jerusalem was to come to its inhabitants and the religious people did not, if they did not come to faith in him. And this was his teaching in his, in his prophecy, all in Matthew 24. See, Jesus challenges them to leave religion and simply come to faith in him. He, he warns them uh, that not one stone will be left on top of the other. The temple was going to be pulled down and the religious empire is about to fall. That was what his prophecy said. Uh, and the religious people, they come and they defend their power and they debate with Jesus. And they want to know, Jesus, where do you get your shmina? Whose authority do you speak with Jesus? So, I'd love to ask us this question. What religious empires do we defend? Um, just because it's called Christianity doesn't mean that we've not wandered away from Christ. Jesus comes to challenge religious institutions and ask the question, are they really doing the work of God? Or are they doing the work of man? And this really rocked the boat in Jerusalem. So the Jewish authorities, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they want to know what authority does this rabbi speak with? Where does he get his shmina? So we have to be very careful, don't we? We need to pray that we are listening carefully to the teachings of Jesus and not getting whipped up with our own religiosity. So all of that you're going to find in Matthew chapter 24, authority. So, friends, Wednesday. Wednesday. The week is dip disappearing fast and Jesus is sat with his friends in Bethany. So he's staying out in Bethany. It's like in the traveling out of town. And he's commuting in each day. So Jesus is with his friends in Bethany. He's at the home of Simon the leper. And during the evening, uh, Mary of Bethany comes in and she anoints Jesus. She anoints Jesus' feet with perfumed oil. And you're going to find all of this in Matthew chapter 26. And it ultimately, chapter 26, centers around one fundamental question. What is too much to give in worship? Is it possible to give Jesus too much? See, Mary, she cracks open the alabaster jar. 
that's filled with oil. It's an expensive oil. And once an alabaster jar is cracked open, you can't reseal it. There is no stopper. Once it's open, it's open and it's pouring out. You cannot put the lid back on. So once it's open, it's open. It was expensive oil. It's the kind of oil that you would put months and months and months and months of wage into. Um, so Mary cracks open and thousands of pounds of uh, of this oil bursts out and is poured over Jesus' feet. What is she doing? Why is Mary doing such a thing? It certainly confuses the disciples and it definitely confused Judas. Jesus, uh, Judas was so upset by the wasting of the money by anointing Jesus' feet with such expensive oil. You see, worship is pouring ourselves out for Jesus. And that's exactly what we see Mary doing. She is worshipping extravagantly with this alabaster jar of oil. And Judas doesn't get it. He doesn't get it because he doesn't know how to worship. Judas can't see what is going on and he doesn't get worshipping Jesus. Judas has been with Jesus for months and years and yet he still doesn't get who Jesus is. He doesn't get what it means to worship Jesus. He's been following Jesus but he's not able to do the greatest act in response which is to worship Jesus back. Judas has been following Jesus but cannot worship Jesus. He can't give himself in the same way that Mary is giving herself. He can't be poured out in the way that Mary is pouring out. He doesn't get it. And he doesn't get it so much that he ends up going and selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. For Judas, this was all too costly. He couldn't worship Jesus. So Wednesday is a day of costly worship. What does it mean to worship Jesus fully with everything that we've got? Mary got it. Mary got it, but Judas didn't. Judas was one of those that spent all his time with Jesus and he didn't get it. So I want to just raise this question. Is it possible to follow Jesus but not really get who Jesus is? Is it possible to follow Jesus and not truly be a worshipper? I would argue yes. There are far more Judases in the church than we would like to think. I am too much like Judas. How about you? It's too easy to follow Jesus but not worship Jesus with everything. It's just too costly. So friends, we head on to Maundy Thursday. I'm titling Maundy Thursday Proximity because ultimately, John 13, we read about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Maundy Thursday is the day that Jesus enters Jerusalem and he goes for his final meal with his friends. And he takes off his outer garments. He ends up wearing nothing but his inner garments, his underwear. 
He wraps a towel around his waist and during this meal, he washes the disciples' feet. So in the way that uh, uh, the Wednesday where Mary anoints Jesus' feet, on Monday Thursday, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Why is he washing their feet? Well, you walk all over the Middle East, you are going to get a lot of disgusting things on your feet. And we all have hospitality practices. In the UK, you come into someone's home, they might ask you if you want a cup of tea. If you come to my home, I'll say, do you want a cup of coffee? Hospitality practice. Same in the Middle East, but their hospitality practice would be to wash your hands and to wash your feet. Uh, wash your feet because of where you've walked and wash your hands because they're going to offer you a meal. So proximity. Jesus takes off his outer clothing, leaves nothing but his underwear on, drops a towel around his waist and he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus is the host of the meal but also places himself on par with the slave, with the woman and the children. This is the job that the slaves, the women and the children would do. And Jesus puts himself apart with them. Jesus takes off his outer garments and he puts on the towel of a slave. Gets on his hands and knees and he assumes the position of a foot washer. And he washes their feet. Jesus, in this moment, is showing what it means to be a great leader by being a great equaliser. Jesus sees himself in this role, a servant, as being like an equal, washing each person's feet. He doesn't think so highly of himself, but becomes the one who washes feet to show the disciples what it really means to be a disciple. What Jesus does here by washing feet is to create a tangible engagement with his people in an intimate and practical way. He touches their feet. There's nothing more intimate than foot washing. There's nothing more intimate than foot washing. Most of us would really struggle with our feet being washed. There's nothing more intimate. So Jesus takes off his outer garments and he puts on the towel of a slave. Friends, we too need to take off the outer garments of pride, self-importance, arrogance. And we too need to put on the towel of a servant as we serve one another. Maldi Thursday tells us a whole string of things we've got jesus washing feet the importance of humility uh, we've got jesus going to pray crying out in prayer jesus's arrest and the way in with dignity he's arrested so maundy thursday is an evening of humility and proximity as jesus assumes the role of a servant and then heads out for his arrest. Friday. I like to call it now Black Friday. Good Friday is what we traditionally call it. It's good because of what's going to happen on the cross. I like to call it Black Friday. In some ways, it's the most obvious piece of the entire week, isn't it? It's the bit of the week that we most recognize. It's Jesus's trial, illegal trial. And then it's his crucifixion happening after the Passover meal the evening before. All the Gospels share with us these events of, of Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus is brought alongside Barabbas, a, a local terrorist, a local freedom fighter. He's somebody who's wanting to bring an uprising 
we can presume Barabbas has been arrested because he's wanting to overthrow the city and the Roman Empire are there to stamp out such behaviour. So he's too on death row alongside Jesus. And Pilate asks the people in the city, which do you want to be set free? Because Pilate had the ability to free one of them. Let's be totally honest. Pilate had the freedom to free whoever he wanted. He didn't just have the power to free one person. He could have freed as many as he wanted. That was his role. He had the power to do that. So Jesus is brought outside with Barabbas. And Pilate asks the people, who do you want me to free? Which of the two? Comparing the both. The people end up cheering for Barabbas. They want Barabbas free. Why? They really want a terrorist and murderer free? No. They just didn't want Jesus free. Have you ever come across anybody that obstinate? where they're willing to go for the thing that, that is the worst of the two options just despite uh, one of the other options uh, we, we, we oft, you often find people who do this they'll they'll do anything to spite somebody else even if the other option is is worse or stupid so Jesus stands alongside Barabbas and the crowd cheer for Barabbas to be freed Barabbas is on death row, is heading towards his death, and yet Jesus steps onto the platform as the alternative. Friends, the good news is this. We are all on death row. We are all like Barabbas. We have all sinned. But Jesus is coming to step in our place so that we might have his life. Jesus is a death sentence interrupter, isn't he? And God knew that he needed to treat Jesus like Barabbas to treat Barabbas like Jesus. What we see between the Jesus and Barabbas on trial is exactly what happens between us and God on the day of judgment. We stand on judgment. We are the ones heading towards our death. But Jesus comes and stands next to us. God knew that he would need to treat Jesus like Barabbas to treat Barabbas like Jesus. God knew that he needed to treat Jesus like Chris, to treat Chris like Jesus. Friends, we can play games. We can pretend some of us are better than others. Or we can all come to the honest conclusion that we're stood like Barabbas on the pedestal. And it's God and God alone who can make the difference. It's Jesus versus Barabbas. And it's his scandalous grace that allows Barabbas to be unchained and walk down the steps fully knowing we may never fully appreciate what Jesus has done for us. That's the chance Jesus thinks is worth it. Barabbas had no idea how amazing an opportunity he had to walk free. And we are exactly the same. So friends, Jesus is crucified. He's buried in the tomb so where is Jesus on the Saturday well the Saturday actually has a name it's a name that many of us don't realize in the evangelical church but it's called Holy Saturday it's the day that God is dead on Holy Saturday we walk into the future with hope in one hand and with anticipation but also deep sense of grief in the other we walk with hope in one hand and grief in the other 
You see, friends, little is said about Holy Saturday in the Gospels. There's not a great deal mentioned. In fact, the Saturday isn't mentioned in the traditional Gospels at all. In some Eastern Orthodox churches, they have a short gathering on Holy Saturday that I just think is really interesting. They don't light any candles. They don't um, they don't dress the altar. But the congregants would go, sit in the pews, the lights off, and they'd have this service uh, in the dark uh, as they sit in the darkness and the silence waiting for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pete Gregg, um, on, in his book God on Mute, it's just outstanding. He talks about Holy Saturday. If you've not read it, it's really worth it. And he writes this, Holy Saturday seems to be uh, describing the place in which many of us live our lives, waiting for God to speak. We know that Jesus died for us yesterday. It's Good Friday. We trust that there will be miracles tomorrow, Sunday. But what about Holy Saturday today? This eternal Sabbath when heaven is silent, where we wonder where God is. I love that. See, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they have this service. And I want to read a part of the liturgy, or not the liturgy, a homily, that apparently was preached by a, pre by a, a priest on uh, Easter Saturday. He says this, what is happening? Today there is a great silence over the earth. A great silence and stillness. A great silence because the king sleeps. The earth was in terror and was still because God slept in the flesh and roused up those who were sleeping from the ages. God was dead in the flesh and the underworld trembled. So let me read this to you. This comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, was made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And it kind of goes on. But there's a wonderful line there. Where was Jesus on Holy Saturday? Well, on Good Friday, he was put to death in the body. But he was made alive in the spirit. And it implies here that in the spirit, Jesus goes into the hell, into hell and preaches to the imprisoned spirits, those that were disobedient long ago. Where is Jesus on Holy Saturday? Well, it looks like he's dead. But he's not dead. He's in hell preaching the gospel to those who hadn't heard it from long ago. Jesus looks dead to us, but he's in the spirit world, hell, preaching the gospel to those that need to hear it. He's on an evangelistic tour. Jesus is touring hell, preaching to those that are imprisoned in it. Where he is Jesus on Holy Saturday when we have lost hope, He's in hell preaching his socks off, inviting people to leave hell with him.
which leads us, friends, to Resurrection Sunday. Revelation 1.17 When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Resurrection Sunday is the day that Jesus opens the doors of hell. He's the king of the universe. And he beckons all in hell hell to leave with him three quick points about resurrection sunday point one god gets his hands bloody and messy this is the god that we worship the god with bloody messy hands holes in his hands holding the keys of hell point two jesus has his keys jesus's keys are the keys that open hell. Jesus holds the keys of death and hell. Jesus holds the keys of every prison. The resurrection of Jesus changes the face of death for all his people. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Easter says that you can put truth in the grave, but he will not stay there. Hallelujah, now we're preaching. You can put truth in the grave, but he won't stay there. Point three, the resurrection didn't just happen. Friends, the resurrection happens. The business of God is, is that of leading people from death to new life. See, some people walk in the death caused by abuse. Some people walk in the death caused by lies told about them. Some people walk in death caused by sin that's eating them on the inside. Some people walk with death caused by cancer. Some people are walking with death caused by hopelessness. Friends, Christianity isn't an introduction to guilt. It's not an introduction to boredom. It's not an introduction to religious books, buildings, robes, organs and bishops. But an invitation to the fullness of life. Joy, celebration, fun. Because at its core is a God who wins over death its self friends we can account for where jesus is each day of the week we know where jesus is throughout the whole week so let me recap for us sunday before resurrection jesus rides a donkey a little children's donkey into jerusalem monday jesus goes into the temple and clears out the money changers tuesday Jesus is discussing and debating in the city of Jerusalem where and who he gets his authority from. Wednesday, Jesus is having his feet anointed in Bethany. Thursday, Jesus is having a Passover meal with his disciples and he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Black Friday, Jesus is stood on the steps uh, being judged He's crucified on a cross and he's put in the grave. Holy Saturday, he's on a preaching tour of hell. Resurrection Sunday, with the keys to hell in his hands, Jesus is resurrected. Friends, the message of Jesus 
is that the resurrection didn't just happen it happens and my invitation is to you where do you need to see the resurrection of jesus today may you come to see jesus at work in your life this easter friends have a wonderful easter grace and peace Thank you.